You're listening to Clouser on Business. Thanks for coming back. I'm Clouser, your host. Glad you're with us today. Our topic today is about when it's out of your control. We've discussed several times on our podcast about planning, being prepared, contingency plans. Well, you get the idea. You may recall our podcast with the Vigianos and their story of Gordon Stroke and how that unexpected event turned things upside down in their lives. But they've learned some valuable lessons and are now helping others to plan for events such as these. Unfortunately, even the best planning sometimes gets thrown out the window when unexpected events uh, happen. These events will definitely cause you to draw deep inside yourself to endure these crises. Hey, we'll have Heidi Bird with me today. Welcome back, Heidi. Hi, Clouser. How are you? Ah, pretty good. Uh, what are you doing for the upcoming Yuletide season? Lots of good friends and family, and that's, uh, that's about it. Seeing some carols. Mm-hmm. Out uh, probably buying your favorite host some uh, Christmas uh, cheer and uh, That's presents. exactly. That was the first thing on my list. I forgot. Yeah, I hope there's, <laughs> not, <laughs> hope there, hope there's not coal and sticks in there. No. no. <laughs> hey, well, uh, Heidi, you've had quite an experience uh, in this area of uh, being involved in an event that was way out of your control and uh, really just came uh, unexpectedly unexpectedly uh, why don't you share uh with our audience uh, you know a little bit about what happened that famous day and uh, and give us a little setup to why you were where you were and uh, traveling that day sure um so i like to think of myself as a very well-planned person um some including my own family members would say too overly planned sometimes um so um I'll just take you back a few years to um, 2000. Uh, I found myself living uh, in Belfast in Northern Ireland, going to grad school, and I was finishing up my master's degree, and I was so well-planned that after teaching for my final semester in the spring, I had the summertime to write my thesis, and I wanted to get everything done and out of the way before graduation in December, and I missed my family, and I wanted to make sure that I got home early. So if you finish your thesis early, you could always go home or do whatever you wanted to do. When had been the last time you had been home? Um, probably almost a year before then. Um, so it had been a, a while, um, and I was missing my family, and I, I never go a whole year. So it had been under a year, but still not. I was homesick a little bit, I will confess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's okay. <laughs> um, but knowing that, uh, you know, I'd fulfilled all of my class duties and everything, uh, all I had was my thesis, and so I figured I would stay around through the summer, and then chose a date when I knew I had to hold my feet to the fire and say, all right, I'm going to turn in my thesis, defend it, and then pick a date to fly home. And so I did. Uh, I booked a ticket, I believe it was back in May of 2000, or sorry, 2001 then, I decided. Um, and so I bought a ticket for a random Tuesday in September. Uh, Tuesdays because um, if you live in Ireland or if you visited Ireland, you will know that there's absolutely nothing open on the weekends. So on Sunday, basically, unless you are going to church or your local pub, most even malls and shops are closed for Sunday. 
So I knew that I needed to do some banking thing, like clean out my bank account and just kind of do normal things that, and ship some things home. So I needed a day, a working day, that everything would be open. So I booked my ticket for September 11th, 2001, uh, back in May. And I worked my way along finishing my thesis until that day arrived. What, uh, just out of curiosity, what were you, and for our listeners, what were you studying? What was your master's uh, thesis in? Yeah, that's actually kind of funny. Um, so I was there at the Center for Comparative Ethnic Conflict, um, and but I was studying, I was doing a research-focused um, program that they have there, which studies ethnic conflict from around the world. So not just the Northern Ireland conflict, but there's a big center there where you focus on global conflicts from basically the beginning of time through current uh, day conflicts everywhere from Sri Lanka to the statehood movement in Puerto Rico to other conflicts that have happened around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, uh, so on Monday you gave, on the Monday you gave your... uh Yep. Thesis defense, or whatever you call that. Defended my thesis on Monday. Mm-hmm. Picked up the hardbound copy of my thesis on Monday and defended it. Uh, and then spent the rest of the day packing up for home. I had a 5 o'clock flight out of Belfast for Heathrow. So it was a very fast day getting out of there. Mm-hmm. So, you, uh, so you leave Belfast. You, uh, when, you got to Heathrow when? I got to Heathrow um, around... Seven o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then it was uh, still dark. <laughs> so, and uh, you were on a um, United flight. Is that correct? United flight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, bound so for ahead. San Francisco. So, so, so you're you going from London to San Francisco direct. Yep, because I'm from the West Coast originally. So uh, I was coming, flying home to Oregon to be with my parents. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a 10 and a half hour flight, uh, Heathrow to San Francisco. Um, and we were set to fly, I think it was about, yeah, 10 and a half hour flight. And like all flights and being a struggling student, I was at the very back of the plane <laughs> where the bathrooms are, basically. <laughs> but feeling pretty good because, um, you know, I had successfully finished my master's degree and I was looking forward to seeing everybody at home. So, Okay. So you got uh, flight takes off, you got underway, heading home. Yep, heading home. And it was a really normal flight, so nothing happened for a long time. In fact, um, I got two and a half movies into the entire flight, so that's a, it's actually a gorgeous flight. We were a huge plane, double-decker plane, uh, with a lot of tourists from Europe um, going on holidays and either to San Francisco or traveling on. There were a lot of people going to Australia and other places afterwards, so it's a very full flight um, and he, the, this will come back later, but it was a huge plane. So, yeah. um, so you're uh, on your way home. So, home, uh, at yeah. what at what point uh, were you aware that something might be? Um, yes. Yeah. So about nine hours into the flight, um, we were actually we come over the poles, so we're kind of actually go- doing a descent to mm-hmm. get into San Francisco. So, you know, you know when you can see the little chart on the you know tv in front of you you're you're close mm-hmm. um so we were already in us airspace at that point and something started happening so two things um one the plane did a 180 in the air which mm-hmm. uh if you've been traveling on a plane for that long you know when that happens you're going the wrong way immediately um and then the second thing that happened was um 
that all of the flight attendants actually went to the very back of the plane and they were holding hands in a prayer circle. Um, and I was literally, like I said, at the back of the plane and I knew something was wrong. Um, they, they closed the curtain, but you could see everybody back there. And, uh, so I took my headphones out. I was watching a movie and, um, just kind of was trying to be more aware of what was happening. And, um, and then probably about three minutes after that happened, then the pilot came on uh, the air and said that uh, a plane had hit the World Trade Center. He just mm-hmm. said one plane at that point. Mm-hmm. So what were you thinking at that point? I think for everybody on the plane, we didn't really know what that meant. Um, I think that we thought maybe there was an accident. I mean, nothing, there wasn't anything that felt like, hey, this is like a big deal. It was just like, okay, well, clearly something's wrong. Maybe there was an accident somewhere. Um, didn't see the magnitude in it. Could have been a tiny prop plane for all I knew, but mm-hmm. uh, clearly there was something wrong. Um, so the pilot said, um, so all planes are not going to be able to land at this time mm-hmm. right away. We'll keep you informed. I mean, they were very professional. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll keep you informed as we know more. Yeah. Unks be known to you at the time the government was clearing the airspace, but... Yeah, I didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. at the time. Yep. Um, so then I actually kind of got a little more concerned because we're still going the wrong direction (laughs) in the air. Um, they turned off the map on the screen, so it just showed the United thing. Um, and, but, um, if you plugged into your seat, instead of listening to music, you actually could get, uh, some of the pilots and ground control conversations happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's when I realized, uh, then the next thing that happened was the pilot came on and said a second plane had hit the world trade center. Um, and then everyone on the plane, just the noise level got a little bit louder. Everyone Mm -hmm. starts talking to each other. They want to, everybody was ringing bells, trying to get the flight attendants to tell them what was happening as Mm -hmm. if they knew what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, but so it got a little bit, um, just everyone became very uneasy because yeah. we didn't know. So your plane then uh, was diverted to where? Yeah, actually, that was the one of the sort of scariest things to me was listening to the ground control and the pilots because our plane was so big, um, we couldn't land uh, in the U.S. We also couldn't land in certain airports in Canada because they were too small. They didn't have a long enough runway for us to land on. Um, but actually, what I found out afterwards, too, is that they wanted to have... Um, Canadian Mounties there, just in case we had um, people on our plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the other concern, um, that perhaps there were people on our flight that had something on board that they shouldn't have had or had plans. Sure. Yeah. At that point, no one knew what was really going on. So uh, you ended up landing in, in Edmonton. In Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so when you got on the ground in Edmonton, Edmonton what happened? So they made us... Um, we landed. Um, I think we're all glad for that. But they also made us land on this strip uh, that was the farthest away from the actual airport. And we were into, like, fields at that point. They made us go all the way to the edge of, like, literally some farmer's field <laughs> was out there. And we couldn't go anywhere. We had to wait for the Canadian Mounties with sniff dogs to come onto the plane. And then they instructed us to, um, everyone was going to deboard the plane by any of the exits um, via the stairs, and then um, take all of your belongings, don't leave anything on the plane, um, and that they would instruct us what to do later. Um, So we all walked into the airport, which is really small. Um, Now, granted, 
Um, Edmonton Airport did not have a United ticket counter, so there was chaos. Nobody knew what was happening. There were a lot of reporters started showing up uh, as well. And basically, they got us um, a bunch of, basically, they called the whole community of taxi drivers, limo drivers, and anybody who could drive us, and they drove us to hotels. And that was really weird to me because clearly we didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought we were just going to be there for maybe like a few minutes and figure out what was going on and have to maybe board another plane. But it was very clear to everyone in the know that there was no way we were getting back to the States. Do you, do you know how many other planes had been diverted there? The, to Edmonton? Yeah. We were the first plane. You were the first plane, mm-hmm. to, and were, were there others that came in I there I think probably? in subsequent days there were several other planes, but they were smaller. Okay. Okay, so you're on the ground there. You don't know really what's going on, so they divide your group up. Uh, yeah, to anywhere. It's a small to, place, so they didn't. Yeah. They hardly had hotel rooms, so I ended up staying. Um, I got dropped off at a place with maybe 10 other people from my plane at a place called the Truck Stop Inn in Leduc, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's really nothing there, um, but that's okay. And they told us that um, they would be in touch with us, but it was really important to stay in our hotels and keep watching the news because we wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to contact us if we didn't stay at our hotel. So they knew that they could contact us. This is pre-cell phone days. And, you know, I had no Canadian currency in my, I had no American currency in my pocket at this point. Um, So at this point, how were you feeling? Do you remember how, you know, certainly panic or something really must be? Yeah, I was really anxious. I didn't know what was happening. Um, We couldn't take any of our belongings with us that were in the belly of the plane either. So you had your shirt on your back and whatever carry-on you had. And it also, just due to the grave looks on everybody's faces, it felt like we were going to be trapped there for many days, and I didn't know how long. Yeah. Were there any instructions that they gave you? Uh, they just instructed us to make sure we stay at the hotel that we were assigned to so that they could get a hold of us and to wait for more instructions. So um, they were literally contacting each of the hotels that they had put us in to, so that the front desk or the proprietors would know what to tell us, and we would get then they would call our rooms if something happened. But the last notification I got was later that day. Um, they said that we won't, we cannot go back into the U.S. until the U.S. lifts airspace, and um, that we wouldn't, um, that we weren't to go anywhere because we have to all go back on the same plane together. So they had to have, in order for the plane to get out of there, once the all clear was given, then every anybody that was on that plane had to be on had to, that. Had to be accounted had for. Had to be accounted for mm-hmm. and on the plane before they would depart. Yeah, which then made me more nervous because uh, there were some people who kept saying, okay, well, we're just going to go rent cars mm-hmm. and drive across the border, or mm-hmm. San Francisco wasn't my final destination. I'm going to Seattle, so I'm just going to drive to Seattle. Right which, as we also now know, there were no even trucks coming across the border, so right. that was probably... Yeah. I know I had some friends that were uh, attending an industry trade show uh, down in Florida that actually rented cars and drove all the way back, you know, in very quickly back to the Northwest. But uh, but so, okay, so you're, um, you're in a hotel, a, a truck stop hotel of some nature anyway, and so how... You know, what did you do with, uh, you know, with that time and, you know. Well, I turned on the TV and at that point 
I started seeing the images, which really scared me a lot. And also because there were still planes in the air, one of them, there were several United planes on that day that were actually taken over. And there was one bound for San Francisco, if you remember, that um, actually got, uh, they ended up crash landing that Mm -hmm. plane. Um, So you didn't know what was happening or who to trust or if you ever wanted to get on that plane. But I actually just wanted to call my parents and I couldn't get a hold of them through any means uh, because all the systems were jammed. Um, So my main concern was I told the airline before I left, I said, Hey, are you going to be, are you going to be calling our emergency contacts or what's going to happen? I found out later from my mom that they, the airline did call her, um, and they told us, or they told my parents where they had put me and several other people. But at the same time, I couldn't get a hold of them. It would be not until late that night um, that I finally talked to my parents about what was happening. Yeah. So uh, how were you holding it together during this time that you were, um, you know, so, you know you, you, I'm sure you were wondering, okay, how could this be happening and how, why could I be here and, you know, why me? And, um, you know, so how did, you know, did you, what did you draw on there during those couple days that you were there? How many days were you there? Uh, four. Four days. So, okay. Um, well, I think that, you know, making sure that I just sort of kept my head about me was one thing. Um, that just relying on my beliefs and making sure that I took care of myself, but also I'm just a very sort of cautious person, so I didn't necessarily want to... I wanted to stay by my phone. I wanted to follow instructions, Mm -hmm. but I also... Yeah, I mean, I will say it was not... It's not like I slept very well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was just a really... It was a tough time. Mm -hmm. So uh, after... You know, the three days, the fourth fourth day. Well, I will uh, say one thing to the people mm-hmm. of Leduc, Canada. Um, we had no money. We had nothing. I mean, they fed us. So, like, random places would um, help us. So I went. There was one, like, little convenience store. And, you know, they were like, hey, well, you know, they gave us bottles of water and stuff like that. So, um and there was a Kmart that gave us pairs of underwear. I know this sounds really silly, no, but like right. no, you no. don't have like other than washing in a sink, there's nothing you can do. Like you're just kind of at the mercy of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you know, it's not like I had tons of credit cards or anything like that to get. I mean, there's very simple logistics that just had to be thought of. Your mom and dad didn't give you that unlimited visa card. No, okay. I was a, I'm, I was a grown up in grad school, but I didn't, you know, I didn't plan on being in Canada, so it's not like, um, you know, I just thought I was going home, and then I would change all of my money over later. Sure. So okay, so time comes the fourth day that uh, airspace is opened up, and so, uh, so did you get a call or? Yeah, the hotel called around. Um, I think it was eleven thirty the night before, and said you're going to be able to um, board the plane tomorrow morning, but you have to be sure that you're up and ready to go at, like, 5 a.m. Um, so make sure you're in the lobby at 5 a.m. Um, they had those same vehicles. It was just a group of um, people who were nice and had vehicles or 
Um, I think it was that day I got a town car. We, I took a town car with a bunch of other people because they didn't have enough taxis to handle the whole I'm situation. I'm sure you probably would have taken the Volkswagen bug. I would have taken anything. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we all had to amass there. And I was actually really worried that some of our passengers weren't going to show up because how do you get over 200 people to comply and do something when, you know... It, Sure. <laughs> it's kind of a, it was a difficult situation. You yeah. don't know what's going to happen. So, so uh, okay, so you get to the air, you get to the airport. What kind of process was that getting back on that plane? It was a many hour uh, process. So um, basically we had to, they lined up, it was our flight only uh, going out and they lined up all of our luggage and we had to go through a security process but then again we had to identify our luggage one by one and then they would open it go through everything again and repack it for us before we were allowed to board the plane yeah. so what how long of a process did that take that for everyone about get six and a half hours i see and so then uh, everyone's on the plane and you're headed to san francisco yep finally um it was almost dusk by the time we were about ready to land in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it was a really beautiful day. Uh, and we were the first plane actually to land in San Francisco. I think they did it by order of flights that were basically that were put on deter mm-hmm. mode or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also I remember that um, they wanted to make sure that for a variety of reasons that we just landed and got home right. safely because they, like I said, didn't right. have really a ticket counter. So, but the most beautiful part of it was um, the grounds control people and all the people who work at the uh, airport in San Francisco had laid out a huge American flag that went across the entire airport. It was probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, people at that point on the plane, we all got to be, you know, we were all cautious, you know, cautiously optimistic together this whole time. And so everybody was like just kind of chatting and kind of trying to be friends with each other. And so we all kind of clapped when the plane landed. It was a very nice, uh, it was a good feeling. Yeah. And there's another kind of an irony to your flight with its flight number. 911. That was, and that, that was, <laughs> yes. that was the flight number you were on on yeah. United it was 911. Yeah. I think that's amazing. It's actually funny because uh, for months after we were, I had to kind of go back and get, you know, reimbursed for a bunch of stuff for the hotel and everything like that. So it was a months long process to go through. So I had to type out that flight number a lot. Uh, so nine eleven is a interesting set of numbers for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so out, out, out of your experience, you know, if you had an opportunity, because uh, our podcast, uh, is on business. And I want to say this, that uh, when we were writing up this podcast, we had an idea to talk about what we're talking about when things are out of your control. We're a business podcast, but uh, Heidi, Heidi and I really just want to say that our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to the families that lost uh, loved ones on 9-11. And uh, for those who lost uh, family members and friends, uh, in subsequent battles to continue to fight for our freedom as an outcome of those uh, terrible events on 9-11. But uh, just going to ask, as we get trying to wrap up here, uh, you know, if you were sitting around a table full of business people and everyone was maybe anxious about this or that, 
to do with their daily responsibilities in business. You've gone through uh, uh, a pretty traumatic situation there with your flight home that day. Kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it, on the importance of things in life? Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, I think that my spirituality has been really important to me as well. And I think that the, um, you know, sometimes I don't like talking about this. I'm glad you mentioned everybody because I didn't have it bad that day at all in comparison. So, but it does, it does have, I think sometimes business implications because you can't always like, you're not going to know what's behind or around the bend sometimes. I mean, yeah, you can plan to the best of your ability or whatever you can do, but there are some things that may be totally out of your control in that instance. And I think it's also the way you roll with them and how you choose to move forward, even if they've totally altered your course, how can you best arrive at the next best course or how can you find a way to right your center of gravity again and still continue in business without having to, you know, think that everything's lost. Yeah. seems to me, too, like uh, there must be some flexibility in that formula. I mean, <laughs> wait, I mean, what do you, I mean, you know, you got to go with the flow. I mean, uh, you know, things aren't always, you know, good, yeah, good in life. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think, I think about that, too, when, you know, these days when everyone talks about innovation and disrupting, you know, the marketplace for whatever inventions are coming down the road, there are a lot of people getting disrupted all the time and best laid plans as they may be. You may absolutely have to figure out what's your next best course. I mean, I ended up falling into probably a great opportunity instead of going back and getting my PhD and becoming a professor. Instead, mm-hmm. I'm in a different business, but I love what I do. Yeah. Well, and I think I think it's a good thing to just keep life in perspective as well. I mean, uh, and it, it's going to happen. It'll happen in different forms to all of us. And, uh, uh, you know, you're going to, you know, businesses get knocked up and down and people get thrown to and fro. And, uh, uh, you know, it's not not the end of the world. It's something that you can endure if you keep your head about you and, uh, you know, you know, just draw draw up on those principles that you have, um, you know, inside yourself. Hey, well, uh, hey, thanks for listening today. Uh, uh, kind of a, a different podcast here on the Clouser on Business, and uh, uh, but uh, I felt I wanted uh, people to hear Heidi's story. It's a you know, it's a uh, you know, it's a sad story with a happy ending uh, for Heidi and her family. And uh, but during this uh, holiday season. Uh, just pray that uh, you know that you'll be safe and that uh, take the time to spend with your family and your your best friends and uh, enjoy the time um, and keep a good work life uh, balance amongst yourselves. But anyway, he will uh, be sure to tell your friends about us. Uh, we're on iTunes, TuneIn, Podbean, Castbox, Stitcher Radio, and always at ClouserOnBusiness.com. Hey, well, until the next time, you've been listening to Clouser on Business.